Hello listeners and welcome to the third season of Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year our association hosts several leading mental health conferences that allow us the chance to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as we go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand. From lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics, leading community organisations and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering for some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. When escaping domestic violence, survivors can be faced with many challenges, including needing to establish financial independence and find safe housing. Two women committed to empowering survivors are this week's podcast guests, Kate Crowley-Smith and Linda Sorey. Kate is the founding director of Broken to Brilliant, a charity helping survivors who have safely left the abusive relationship and are out of the crisis providing, uh, by providing services and programs to empower, support, assist and give hope in their journey to create a new chapter in their lives. Kate is a mother of two, a domestic violence survivor with a professional background in nursing and health promotion. Her work portfolios are patient safety and quality and injury prevention. Kate is currently studying a postgraduate certificate in domestic and family violence and believes in lifelong learning. Linda is the co-director of Broken to Brilliant and has been working within the healthcare sector providing support for patients, family and staff with a particular focus on safety and quality for over 30 years. She's also a qualified psychotherapist, equine assisted psychotherapist. Her psychotherapy practice, Rain Changer, runs a range of individual and group equine-assisted programs, including specifically for children, adolescents, adults, support programs for abuse survivors and staff working within healthcare and support services. Tune into this week's podcast as Kate and Linda discuss how Broken and Brilliant was formed, its success and future plans. All right. Thanks very much, everyone, for tuning in to today's episode. And it gives me a great pleasure to introduce Kate and Linda. Thanks very much for coming on the show and talking to us. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Do you want to start? I think maybe we should start with you, Kate. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your background and and then how you got to where you are? And then Linda will do the same and talk about the wonderful things that you're up to. Oh, thanks, Sam. Um, so my background in professionally is nursing yep. and then health promotion. And I'm currently studying um, domestic and family violence in a postgraduate certificate, but how we got to where we are for Broken to Brilliant, is that what you're Yeah, meaning? I think so. Yeah. I think we Yeah, so founded um, Broken to Brilliant in, well, we actually launched it in 2016, and the reason why I did that, and, um, and I did that with a, another director, um, a, um, Andrea, um, as a co-founder, is because it was so, goodness, it was just so hard trying to rebuild um, my life after leaving a domestic violence relationship. I mean, I had to cross the country to get to safety. And the different things, the struggles, you know, there were struggles with um, school, there were struggles with legal, there were struggles with um, Centrelink. It was the banks, it was just never ending. And I just thought, 
God, it can't be. Why is it so hard? And even with the, um, you know, that support group that you can go to for so many weeks afterwards, I wasn't allowed to go to another one. I thought, oh, really? You know, really not allowed to go to another one because I've been to one? And because it was just so tricky, I have to help others and make it easier for other people. And that's the reason why um, we found I founded the charity with um, other people and the founding board members as well, just to help other women and yeah. children. Uh, I mean, I want to get into that and what you guys are up to because there's some amazing things that you're doing and talk about the project and, and stuff. If we go to you now, Linda, do you want to tell us how you got involved um, and what your professional background is? Yeah, so my background, um, again, like Kate, is nursing, was where I'm originally from. Also, yep. um, I've sort of done quite a bit of studies around um, a now qualified psychotherapist as well. So yes. I've done that more recently. I ran, um, run programs, equine assisted therapy programs, as well as just your normal room based gestalt therapy as well. So that's my kind of background from that perspective. I still work, um, like Kate does, full time as a quality manager in a large private hospital. Yeah. Um, so that's my professional background. Also, I have a quarter horse stud and I'm um, grown up in the country and have a very strong connection with the land and with the animals and nature um, as well. I, I'm hearing all uh, – I can't wait to hear all about that. And, and, I mean, equine therapy sounds really intriguing to me. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm keen to hear about that. Um, but uh, amazing. So you're both nursing backgrounds mm-hmm. come together. Um, did you have a lived experience – yeah, so Ev, well. it's interesting enough, Kate and I worked alongside each other for about seven years before we even knew each other's background. I have um, you know, a long history of domestic violence, um, three children, three sons um, that um, were obviously part of that um, with yeah. me, so certainly lived experience as well um, from the domestic violence background. Um, luckily, it's you know a fair way behind us now, yeah. but certainly, really, it's with us every day still. Mm. Yeah, I've... No doubt, I can't relate, but no, but no doubt. Um, yeah. So, th- thanks for sharing. And Kate, you had kids as well. Have kids? Yeah, had two children as well, and they were also impacted. And just over lunch, just recently, we you know, today we were just sharing how it's it's lifelong, the impact of domestic violence. People think you just get out really quickly and easily and get on with your life, or you're out. You should be happy. You know, it's over. Well, it actually isn't. And there's things that trigger you. There's things that come up that you didn't know that happened and you find them out later. And so you're just forever catching yourself and going, oh, my gosh, I'm reacting to that. Why? And what now do I need to do to help repair myself and my kids? Yeah. And that, I, you know, we think that's a lifelong journey for m- most survivors. In, in the courage to remove yourself from the domestic violence relationship... Is that, is that one of the hardest things to do? Well, in the end, I think, and I'm not sort of talking for myself, in the end it's the only thing to do because otherwise you're not faced with, you wouldn't survive. So I'm yeah. like many people, you get to that point that I'm going to be dead if I do and I'm probably die if I don't, but I have to do it. It's just you get to that point where it's the only path you can follow because everything else hasn't worked. Um, yeah. yeah, so you're kind of at that, it's like jumping off a cliff and really not knowing what's down below. But it's worth the risk at that point, isn't it? Well, you have to. Yeah. The risk is the risk to stay becomes greater um, than the risk um, to leave. Yeah. Yeah. And like Linda, I agree. Um, our family had exhausted my family, my ex. We had exhausted every service available in the state that we lived in. 
We had been through every program. We had been through every counselling thing that we could do. And the very last counselling service was the ones that actually identified the domestic violence and then split us up and made me completely aware. Can you believe I was living in that? Living in that on a day-to-day basis and did not know what it was. I mean, I had been trained. I had done modules in my education and, and nursing training on domestic violence and I'm sitting there not even knowing that's what I was living in. And, and, and it took the uh, counsellor uh, over six weeks of, of me going every week, her writing it on the board, the, the kids were in their own session and I was still denying it. This and was after you removed yourself? No. Oh, this is why you were still in the relationship? Yeah, we were still, we were, we were <coughs> um, separated. Yeah. But it was just, like, the denial was so strong. I look back at that and go, oh my gosh, it was just incredible. And because there was such a, you know, there was such a charming side and such a, a nice side and, you know, I could lift all that, but then there was all this disgusting side and yeah. horrible side. I was so conflicted and so confused. And that's why people find it really hard to leave because they see the good and the bad and you've got this Jekyll and Hyde situation. And, and you're in love. Uh, and in, and in, pre- in previous people that I've been speaking to, they said that the hardest part is she still they still loved loved the person, but, um, but you're right, they couldn't recognise at the time that this is the situation they were living in because... They were trying to survive day to day and they just thought that was how life was meant to be. Um, so uh, obviously, I mean, you both took the took the, the risk and the, and the courage, had the courage to get out of the relationships and did so um, and thankfully with your kids as well in, in a safe safe space. What do you think now looking back on it? Do you, what needs to be done to help other people? And, and I, I assume that's what's given birth to what you guys have both started up, but... What do you think is missing in that link? Look, from I think particularly tying with the program that we presented um, today, um, yesterday, which was the, the mentorship program. So it's actually that survivor to thriver model, which is what was really important. And again, lived experience with actually mentors who have come through that journey um, that are well out the other side um, and sort of probably more around that thrivership stage for them being able to reach out and help support the survivors that are still in that survival mode so they're out of the immediately immediate risk um, of harm and out of the relationship, but they're in that rebuilding and trying to help them um, with that transition side of moving from that survivor, you know, which I was probably in for 10 years after I was out, to that thrivership side where you're really starting to reconnect with life and feel alive again and can really have a sense of hope real sense of hope of yeah. a new life so there's an important distinction there it's not just once you're out of it and you're in safety you're still i mean you i imagine that you're still very much suffering and trying to heal and trying to get help still uh not to mention worrying about your kids and that sort of thing as well mm-hmm. so so you're saying then it's for people that are out of the relationship that have that have now moved on trying to go to the next phase of life but instead of just surviving, you're saying, how do we take that and give them life again so it gives them some hope? Yeah. And that's the whole mission of Broken to Brilliant um, Domestic Violence Survivors, mentoring fellow survivors to create that new chapter. And people don't realise that they need to reconnect sometimes with themselves 
They just know that they're struggling and they're stuck. They're stuck in their story. They feel anxious. They're scared. And they want to move forward, but they find it really hard. And society expects that they should be happy and you know, what's wrong with you? You shouldn't yeah. be depressed. You shouldn't be upset. But it's a loss. So this is what people don't realise. You've just gone through how many losses? You've lost your house. You lost your home. You lost your family. You lost your friends. You lost your relationship. You lost your future. You lost the kids' schools. You potentially yeah. lost your work. That's a lot of loss. So you're grieving. Yeah. As, and it is painful. It's your identity too, isn't it, really? Mm-hmm. That's another loss. Yeah. And so you've got to be able to move through the grief process with a support and people that understand that. And not everybody understands that and not necessarily those closest to you. So family and friends may not understand that. They see that was you've been through hell and back. You should be happy because you're now out. But not connecting with the point that this is a lost scenario as well. And so that the understanding and supports may or may not be there. No criticism or judgment. It's just the, the reality until we can educate everyone about the processes. And we know and from our experience, from the literature and from the government reports, that the long-term recovery and support for long-term recovery, there isn't a lot of supports available for that. And, I mean, we knew, we knew that ourselves because we'd experienced it. So that's um, where we where we focus on, and back to your question. There's lots of gaps in the whole system, and it would be best if we could prevent domestic violence because mm. the after effects are lifelong, and we really don't want people to be living with that ourselves, other survivors, children. Prevention is the best thing. Being a health promoter as well, I would pr- much prefer to be prevented so we need to go back to the beginning and not necessarily us we partner with another um, person who tries who who's written books about prevention and preventing bullying is one area because that has a a link to domestic violence so that's a good approach as well for schools Mm. and also for um, relationships knowing what is a healthy relationship i didn't really know what that was and so i accepted the types of treatment that um, come with that, because I just thought I didn't. Well, I didn't know any different. Mm. So, so broken to brilliant uh, has a program that's focusing also on prevention. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So we we've linked. We don't run it. Okay. We've linked with um, uh, Fiona Ware, who actually okay. is a, a counselor and an um, art therapist and an educator, and she's written a book called. Charming Charlie and Sophisticated Sophia. Wow. And she runs these beautiful programs in schools and it's a, around bullying prevention. And she's now currently writing another book as well. And so we partner with her to support okay. the work that she's doing as well. So we have this um, close relationship. That's really good. So, so really, I mean, in starting um, the Broken to Brilliant program platform, I guess, you've actually identified the fact that it's more after they've left the relationship do you feel that we're adequately addressing um the services are adequately addressing trying to help people remove them from the relationship do you feel like we're where where we need to be with that and if if not i'm happy to get your thoughts on that if, if you have any 
Look, I think there's always been, not always, there's been more recently a focus on that, getting people out um, you know, safely, and that's certainly where the interest needs to be because that's where the immediate risk is and immediate harm, and you can see that through the media. Yeah. Um, you can see that even within the community now, it's very, very widely recognised, um, and that's, there's a lot going through there. I think the... Um, think like everything there needs to be more resources more effective because we can see that we're still not making a difference really on the numbers of people that are getting murdered or the numbers of people that are getting harmed so we've still got a way to go with that um, yeah. but I still think um, the gap still sits with the long-term um, you know once they're out the long-term harm that occurs as well so I still think that's where the biggest gap is and even for myself as a psychotherapist and the amount of people that are coming out and really needing help and there's just that, unless you have the funds to be able to do it personally, a bit like the legal system, these are people that are missing out. I mean, to be able to get appropriate services for your children um, and to have long-term therapy for all your children, you know, this sort of stuff costs a lot of money, unfortunately. Yeah, and you hear that there are programs that fund for a certain amount of time, uh, so up three months or something, and then it's... Almost like, um, you know, three months, you should be good now. That's yep. uh, all the best. Uh, but, I mean, what we're hearing, certainly over the conference and from people that have survived as well, that, I mean, really it's an ongoing thing and, I mean, it, it can it can take years. Yeah, yep. yeah. Well, my, my sons now are young adults and I certainly saw quite a bit of emergence come out as when they hit um, teenager years, adolescence, and now they're all moving into... Um, you know, relationships um, as well as they get older. Um, so it's it's actually comes in waves, a bit like a roller coaster. And you also see it, for instance, with all the stuff that's happened with COVID. We can see that our um, you know our predisposed um, you know difficulties we have in the past surface again. You know, you can see that, and that will happen lifelong. It's that ups and downs and dips, and it's being able to be able to link in and recognise early when things are starting to get a little bit, the ground's starting to get a little bit shaky for them and they need to reach out for support. And then it's being able to have the right supports and the right people that understand that it's, it is a lifelong journey. This is significant trauma that these people have been exposed to. Yeah. It's lifelong. Yeah. With, the, with, you, with your kids, uh, is there any of that generational, I mean, intergenerational stuff? I mean, do you, uh, is there any? Is that a real th- worry for you? I mean, do Look, um, not for my immediate. There's certainly a lot of okay. you know, anxiety and depression, but the risk of actually, um, I mean, research shows that you know they can go on and be perpetrators. Yeah. For my own immediate, I didn't have that. Okay. Um, they're very, very well connected, and quite um, you know, empathetic and, and connected. But I think there's certainly a risk for any of them that have been yeah. exposed to. The biggest thing is anxiety, depression. Mm-hmm those types of events and and trauma you can see the trauma coming out which is why it's really good to see the trauma-informed practices within schools and within that because they can start to recognize that the previously labeled naughty child Mm. is actually just you know exhibiting behaviors you know associated with past traumatic experiences Mm. exactly the anxiety and the depression sometimes suicidal thoughts as well that go with trauma it's um Significant impacts. Yeah. If we focus now on the program that you you guys put together, um, run us through how it worked and what was involved so we can sort of get an idea for 
So our Survivor to Thrive are peer mentoring program. Yeah. So it's about an eight-month program, but we started with our research and education working group, which is um, domestic violence survivors or lived experience who mm. come together to develop and formulate the program. And uh, so we have mentors. So the mentors coming uh, come from our books. So we've written three books over the last couple of years. So Broken to Brilliant, um, Shattered to Shining and Terror to Triumph. And the authors of those um, books were invited to come and be mentors. And uh, so when we had the mentors organised, um, we did a Facebook advert. And this blows me away every time. And we had people respond to that. So the mentees responded to that and applied. So we asked them to apply and arrange a questions. And so looking for yeah. people that want to participate yeah. that yeah. were in a situation where they were struggling. Yeah. And yeah. They so they were safely out first. Yeah. So they had to be safely out um, but needed ongoing support. Um, and, and we structured the program with some mental training and we developed resources and we had a midpoint review and we had a final review and we provided um, other domestic violence survivors, provided inspirational webinars throughout and the program was structured around um, fortnightly catch-ups yeah. but the mentees were to drive the catch-ups and if they wanted to do more they could if that was in agreement um, with their mentor. Yeah. And so the sort of things that they were asked to do as mentees, I mean, they were setting goal setting, there was some... Yeah, there was goal setting, there was overcoming... Um, overcoming... Overwhelm. Overwhelm. And there was... Um, look, and it was very much driven by what they wanted. So the goal setting, the vision boarding. So we actually broke it down even further at the start. And part one of the sessions that we ran as part of the training program was around vision boarding um, with one of the other, um, Sharon Lafort, who we also um, partner with. She's a survivor. She's written one of the chapters in one of the previous book and she's mm -hmm. also um, did that for us. So it was really focusing for them on what they had vision for and it may have been something quite simple. One of them focused on the vision for with her animals and mm -hmm. someone else focused on vision with getting a little bit of land. So it's very personal and what I was really keen to do is to un and pathologize it so not to make it clinical or not to make it um, you know, anything like that to, to actually be completely um, led by what 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 their hopes and visions were for them in the new world so the, there was no requirement for it to be measurable for it to be something that was achievable in the eight months it was just yeah yep so we did do um, it was really based on we did some pre and post evaluation around well-being and resilience and we also did some each of the sessions we ran some evaluations for that. Um, so we wanted to have some evidence around the impact that it had. But in relation to our the outcome for us and the measure for us as to whether, I'm not sure the word is you know, successful, but was the fact that they actually stepped forward and they actually invited, they stepped forward and they put their hand up to us, that's the measure um, of a successful program, the fact that they took that step. So we had nine participants. Nine mentees. Nine yes. mentees, sorry. Yeah. And out of that, towards the end, the results were yep. quite overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, so what we found was um, nine of them actually did all of the training. Um, so that was over a course of a couple of months. Um, and then moving forward all the way through, we end up with five that completed the entire program from, from beginning to end. Um, you got also the difficulty we had that it was occurring during COVID, so it was quite um, significant time to be doing mm -hmm. it. And we had to go from doing a, what we'd originally designed to be a face-to-face -face workshops 
was to where it's via Zoom, so it certainly presents some challenges and that inability for us to actually get in a room together and connect that way. Um, so we still did find that um, there was improvement for the for the mentors, particularly um, from their wellbeing perspective, rather than their resilience. I mean, resilience, I think, um, takes longer to build and to um, to strengthen. So we certainly had some improvement within the um, wellbeing. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. And so was are you still um, – I assume it's finished a few months ago. Is there still contact? Is there a follow-up? Yeah, yeah, we have certainly have plans to do that. Um, we will be running the program again. Um, it will be a continued um, program that we run and we'll be continuing to offer, um, you know, we're having a planning day coming up in January. We'll talk around how that's going to move forward. But that was part of the last finale um, session that we had. Again, getting them to be part of where do we want to see this go? Where do they want to see this go? So we'll be continuing... Um, we've got a few ideas around how that will continue, but certainly continuing that relationship. And that's been something that's been very prominent in all the, you know, for instance, the previous books that have been written um, by the um, authors of Broken to Brilliant. Yes. It's, it's becomes a community. So it's, it's that lifelong support community on people that have come through um, the programs. Yeah. Wow. So there's plan to roll it out um, in a larger scale then, do you think? Well, it depends on the number of mentors. So we can yeah. only scale to the number of mentors that come through and we need to make sure the mentors have um, gone through some growth processes themselves so that yeah. they're able to provide that role modelling of support, doing work and guidance. support on yourself. Mm. Yeah. But um, one of the um, mentees that have come through the program, they also did our online training, which is called Steps to Rebuild Your Life. And uh, she referred to that quite a lot during the mentee mentor program There's, and um, mentioned that a lot so in the end we asked we invited her to be our online course coach so she's now stepped forward and she's our course coach and so she's supporting other survivors who are going through our online education um, and by providing phone support and coaching um, with that with that course as well so depending on what skills and um, interests the survivors have we work towards and encourage them to provide further support to domestic violence survivors um, so that they can um, continue with that. You know, it's a mutual rehabilitation yeah. type role. The, are, you, are you getting an idea of the value that it's providing for the mentors themselves? Yeah. So I think you're with the results, Linda. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, and you probably we focus more, I think, the thing that really resonated very strongly with me was actually we had a lot of qualitative um, comments as well. You may probably know them more, but just a phenomenal amount of feedback that we actually got um, from the impact. And look, during um, that feedback was around just how much of a support it was for both the, the mentors. We often talk about that supportive relationship that they developed that was mutually beneficial. I mean, these people are doing this... Um, it voluntarily um, so we really wanted it and that's how we structured it and the training so that it's also um, beneficial to them um, and they learnt obviously stuff through it as well and then also um, they have they've got a lot of benefits mm. from it personally um, around again and it just ties into that beautiful you know around healing through learning and growth yeah it's really a long term and it's certainly being fantastic comments from them it's like well. a pay it forward model yeah. yeah and so the survivors by helping another it turns their 
negative experience into something that they can help and guide and support for someone else. It makes it turn it into a positive. So it gives meaning and purpose to the adversity. And that's the whole purpose of doing the peer mentoring model. And we're seeing, we're seeing the benefit of this um, it, largely in mental health at the moment as well. We're seeing that peer workforce coming through because it re- they resonate with people and they understand they've been through it. They've got, you know, they've, they've got the, the experience to be able to have that empathy but also know and sympathise what they're going through. You just said the word. The key word is it's that knowing there's an unwritten knowing you don't have to explain yourself you don't you can just say something and the other person who's lived the experience knows what but knows with every cell of their body what you're what you mean and what you're saying and how you felt and that is that's gold to making you feel heard and understood and that's part of the problem you lose your voice in in um, domestic violence and then you're not heard yeah. and you're not understood. And so to give that back to survivors is a very empowering and it helps them to get back in touch with themselves. Mm. And, the, the, and they're not alone. Mm. Yeah, mm. and that's a big one. Mm. I mean, the, the role of, the, of peer support and peer work in, in the DV space is something that's critical, you know, and it's, it's, it's great to see it happening certainly in this program do you think there's also other areas where peer workforce could also help um even trying to reach people that are still in relationships or somehow to help because i mean you see ways that we hear about ways that people uh, certainly with police and some other methods where they come in and they try and help but it sometimes doesn't help the process uh, only hurts the process but having that understanding from someone that's been through it and the the fear that they're living Mm -hmm. um and trying to do it when they're ready in their own time and and in in a way that they're happy to do it with rather than Mm. i mean do you feel like that there's another role for that there and and yeah i probably when you talk about that i think more about i work within as i said a large private hospital um on the coast and i see and work with that more as being that peer support within the organization that i work for um, being able to help that with people that are often at that, like, you know, stages we've all been at where just a couple of little pennies are starting to drop and then being able to support and perhaps just give them possibilities and some other things to think about um, and even supporting other work colleagues as well that don't have a background or don't have history of it, thankfully, to be able to start, mm, I wonder what else is going on here, you know, I wonder what else, you know, might be happening here. Certainly opportunities that uh, need to be looked at, isn't there, throughout uh, every part of the process. Yeah, at every touch point, really, you know, where GP land and in maternity space is um, just wherever a, a survivor goes, schools and church, there is the potential for that peer mentor model to be able to step in where someone could say, well, would you like to chat with someone who's been there? And then that could be the turning point. All you yeah. need is a turning point and some, something to connect to make you go, oh, my gosh, I've got to do something about this. And it can take a long time. As I said, it took me a long time. But if, if it's somebody else who's lived it and been through it and safely got out, maybe that could be the, the key. And, and getting cut through mm. um, it could be sooner than otherwise and as that, well, right? And that would be 
very beneficial for all because the trauma could be reduced, yeah. not completely el- eliminated depending no. on how long you stay. But just if we can reduce that mm. and get people out earlier. Mm. Yeah. What If you look at the role of the mentees, is there obviously some hope uh, down the track that they can then become a mentor as well? Is that the plan? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely part of the, the long-term goal and, you know, exactly that, being able to – we've done that all the way through with the books um, and the authors from there and certainly, you know, giving them enough um, support and guidance to make sure on one hand we are responsible to make sure that they're at a point whether they can do that in a way that's not going to cause more damage in, in a supportive process to our mentees. So we've got to make sure that the mentors – are at that right place and that's our role um, within the research committee and also with the directors to make sure that that conversations occurred and that assessments occurred so they do go through like an interview process and then we can help you know give them an additional um, you know learning and education we're about to run a new program next year called the heart program um, so that's the um, an art and so it's healing. It's healing equine art resilience therapy program. Yep. So that'll be available. Wow. That'll be available um, to anyone and any family that's had domestic violence. So even our previous authors would certainly benefit. Our mentors, our mentees, even ourselves will actually have the opportunity. We won't restrict it. It's open um, for people that want to come along and be part of that. And that'll be a program over. I think we decided um, it'll be over eight weeks every fortnight and that's the same thing it's being able to help upskill and to help these people Um, and then with the long term if they want to step up and feel that they like to be involved in the mentoring um, or even we have committees involved in the community process or in any opportunity to help um, pay that um, model pay forward um, to do that so absolutely tell me more about the equine and the art therapy uh, I'm interested to know what that involves and how effective is it? Yeah, look, I've been doing art. I'm sorry, I've been doing equine therapy for probably about five years now, um, and it's just—it's actually really hard to put words to what you can do because it's very much in the body experience, and it's very much um, taking us away from our more narrative type of therapy. Uh, gets us out into the paddock, and horses are actually there as a co-facilitation, so they're there to actually help, and it's just phenomenal watching. Um, the interaction between um, clients and the horses. Uh, horses are very intuitive like dogs. They can certainly see us, you know, in, in a heartbeat and, and allow us to see stuff that we couldn't see before and support us in that process. And, and I'm do, certainly finding that clients are getting um, much more benefit much more quickly if it was more the more traditional model of sitting in the chair um, as well. So we've sort of focused on a range of things. A lot of it's creating awareness around it, whether it's boundaries, whether it's um, it's relational, because horses are very relation- relational. So it's a whole range of um, things that we're actually doing. So it's like an, in, uh, an intensive couple of weeks where they come in yep. every day and they have sessions? It'll be once a fortnight. Okay. So it'll be, um, it will be once a fortnight for the day so and it will be there'll be dual there'll be children as well so I've done a lot of work with kids um, just with public programs and then with children from domestic violence as well so it would be working with adults and then working with children and then we'd just rotate the groups half of them will do art therapy and then the other half will half will work with with the horses and then we'll swap them over Mm. so and the art therapy is to build on the equine therapy so that'll be a reflection process and you know, 
finding out what, what you felt, what you learnt and what you've moved through by working with the horses. So it's to, it's to model and to embed the, the benefits of, of the whole program. And um, Fiona Ware is going to be, who's an art therapist and a TV survivor is going to be doing that with Linda as well. And how, what's the, what's the methodology and how they, um, how, how do they do with the, with the relation to the art therapy? Is it through paintings, through movement, through writing? Is it through? It's, um, there's a variety of um, different methods. methods there. There'll be paint and art, art and crafts and glue yeah. and colours and, and it's, uh, and it's an, an allowance of what comes out on the page. You'll be asked to reflect and, yeah. and to draw and, and there's no limits on how that's processed. It's yeah. however you'd like to process that. Um, we do use a lot of art therapy in our programs, even in our book writing programs. Yes. We use art therapy to move people through the horrible feelings and to move through into the positive feelings. So there was a whole process that we used through that. And we have another art therapist as well um, who's one of the, another author and she's going to be running programs this year just on art therapy and moving people through and getting them in touch with their with their inner self and, and feeling back to being themselves. So, so is it is it relating to the experience with the with the horses that they're reflecting on with that art therapy, or is it with just their feelings in general or how they feel inside? Look, generally, we'll I'll shape it up according to what presents itself for them. Okay. So, and the horses and the it's same with the art experience. It's just purely a a median do you know what yeah. i mean a process and then we're very much on letting them um, work with what comes up from them and so it's all quite individual um and it just depends really on what presents it for them yeah so that's exciting so you got a, the heart program is re- is going to be released next year yep okay and you still got the broken the brilliant pilot that's finished but you're going to be rolling that out as well yep yep what else? I mean, is, there, is I mean, that sounds like a lot. But is there anything else happening that you want to share? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, we plan to do another book. We've just got to work out wow. where and when we're going to do that. And uh, so that's that's an, not a very cheap exercise. It's quite an expensive exercise. So we need to get a grant. So we were looking at doing. We were in Western Australia. We would like to do a book over there. And we've had a lot of requests from um, survivors in Western Australia to go there and do a book focusing on. Um, professionals that have um, lived through domestic violence and the reason why we wanted to have that as a theme is because um, we wanted to shift the understanding of the community around who is affected by domestic violence it crosses all boundaries it crosses all socio-economic brackets all educational levels it's anyone can be affected by domestic violence Um, the other location where we were thinking of doing a book and we haven't progressed because of the co- what happened with COVID. We were in process of organising things when COVID hit. The other location was in Tasmania and the book that we wanted to do down there because we were working with um, um, someone from the Salvation Army was around how faith has helped to heal. So not, not, dem- not abuse that's occurred in churches or religious-based abuse, but how people have used faith, spirit... Um, belief wow. as a healing mechanism and that was an, an and we've had a lot of interest in being able to create that book so that we've got another two books that we'd really like to do well, we've got quite probably 10 we'd like to do um, <laughs> we just don't have enough time on our mm. hands and the other program that um, we've structured up is our broken to brilliant 
um, blogging gems program where people become uh, learn how to blog. So we've got a professional um, writer, author, journalist who will support that program and they move through a series of self-help strategies, so gratitude, exercise, meditation, yoga, um, and the benefit of seeking support and giving service, so volunteering for another organisation. And they're all evidence-based strategies to help um, rebuild yourself. And the blogging program is they go through that, they learn about it, they put it into practice, but then they write about how was it beneficial for you or was it not beneficial for you? And they sh- we get to share that with other survivors to encourage taking up self-help strategies. Yeah. That's really interesting. Mm. Uh, sounds like you're going to have a lot on your plate. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm interested, I mean, because I know that it's tough out there for resources. Uh, how are you going getting funded? Uh, I mean, it's this stuff that's obviously pouring a lot of energy and sweat into, but I mean, how, how hard is it to get funding and, and are you getting some? Oh, it's pretty hard to get funding. Uh, we're not in the right sector to get funding, um, but we apply for grants. So the best mechanism for us is grants. So there's grants through insurance companies, banks, um, you know, community grants. So that's where we get some funding. Um, with COVID this year, we opened an op shop in in Gbung on the 1st of July and that um, helps to provide an income. So one of the other directors is leading that um, and doing a fabulous job and that is being, it's quite profitable and so we'll be able to direct proceeds from that to programs and services. And so everyone that's been supporting the op shop, all the volunteers, all the people donating, putting hours in because we're a volunteer-led organisation uh, is contributing to be able to provide programs for domestic violence survivors. What a great initiative! Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it's it's amazing, and it sounds like I mean you do sometimes, well, most of the time, have to take this on your into your own hands to stay afloat and to, to to kick initiatives off because it's not easy to get funding out there, is it? No, it's not easy. It's competitive. Yeah, understandable, but um, being able to generate our in- income is a way of showing other domestic violence survivors as well that you can rebuild and you can be financially viable as well. So it's all yeah. part of that process as well. What's the, as we look towards the future, um, obviously we've spoken about what, what the desire is in the next sort of year with programs rolling out and a list of 10 books. So I, I don't think they're all going to get written in the next year, but <laughs> what, what else What else are you hoping to achieve and, and, and what's the outcome that you're really hoping for by getting um, undertaking this? Well, quite simply for me, just to make a difference to people's lives. But I think probably one thing you want to mention, and Kate will know a bit more about it, is the long-term housing as well. So it's that's probably the other thing that's a big challenge, is to have that absolute independence for these people, um, not just financially, but to have a, to create their own safe home and a safe place. Um, is the, there is a bit of a long-term um, housing plan as well. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the goal... The original goal for Broken to Brilliant is that we have this whole entire centre that supports survivors and it's got a coffee shop and it's got a garden venue and it's got art therapy, it's got venues where we can hold yoga, the whole, you know, it's got health services, it's everything. It's, and it's community. micro, it's a community and it's micro enterprise as well. So we're helping domestic violence survivors to rebuild and by partnering with the 
survivors, we're currently doing that now. So when we have different people providing art therapy and vision boarding, so we pay them sometimes, not all the time, but we, we do pay when we get grants and things to deliver those programs because they are professionals yeah. and so that they get paid by the hour to deliver that. So that's our little micro-enterprising approach, um, helping them financially. And so we would like to have these centres everywhere in Australia in every single state to support survivors as well. And the long-term housing is... I know how hard it was to put a roof back over my head. Like I was not eligible for transition housing. No one would rent to me. I didn't have enough money to buy a home and if a family member didn't step forward and help, I wouldn't have been able to house my kids. This is, you know, we know that homelessness is a, a really big impact for women and children. Uh, any domestic violence survivor that can end up on the street. So being able to work out how we can help survivors have their own home that they own not one that they're renting that they own and have some control back in their lives and security is one of the things that we're started working with and we've been in discussions with um, Rotary about how we can do that and we've got some ideas about how we're going to go forward with that so that's a pretty big piece of work and that we're investigating at the moment as to how we can achieve that yeah, it sounds like a big challenge. Uh, <laughs> big challenge. But certainly worthwhile if you can figure that out. Yep. One, uh, as we turn for the home straight, is there anything else that you want to mention? Is there, How can people get in touch with you? And, and also um, yeah, any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us? We'll start with you. Yeah. Okay. Um, we don't put our phone numbers out there on purpose, um, but basically you can email broken to brilliant you know contact at broken to brilliant.org we've got our facebook page and instagram page um and that's the best way to contact us is basically via email that's why it's safe and secure for people as well and for us without having numbers out there um sorry what was the other question <laughs> was there any final thoughts you well, want to share with us or anything linda did you look i think for me probably the biggest thing is just for people to know that they're not alone in their struggle uh, and that, you know, putting their hand out um, and reaching have, reaching out and having other people walk beside them and this journey is what we are here for. And they don't have to do it alone. They've been alone for a, lot, a large part of their life and it's it's time to not be alone and to, be, to have people walk beside you in this. Yeah. It takes a long time. Go easy on yourselves and, and do, you still need to do the the work on yourself as well you know and do the programs do what you can what feels right for you there's no there's no one you know if we might say art therapy you might not like that you might say equine therapy you might not like horses but choose something that that works for you and do that yeah. so there's lots of different things that are evidence-based and, and we're trying to provide a different suite of those so that people have the choice and can immerse themselves into that it could be going for a walk, it could be mindfulness, it could be exercise, it could be having a counsellor, but to help yourself move forward and to regain the joy of life and to live life on your terms, do something, some self-care strategies so that you can reconnect with yourself, your brilliant, resilient, beautiful self. That's what we want people to be able to do and for their kids as well. Yeah. Beautifully said. And I tell you what, we're very uh, 
appreciative and lucky, I think, to have people out there such as yourself driving this um, support, uh, support network and showing people a pathway to, like you said, not just survive but to thrive and and incorporating the peer workforce on that journey, which I think is critical. So, uh, so thank you for the work that you're doing, um, true leaders in the field, and thanks for inspiring people to uh, to live better lives um, after they escape uh, and get out of their domestic violence relationship. So thank you very much and thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, thanks for that. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.